Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Good afternoon, all of you from Ignatius Press that are tuning in this afternoon. My name is Lisa Wheeler, and I am the president and founder of Carmel Communications. And my agency uh, represents most of Ignatius Press's fine authors um, for publicity and marketing out into the Catholic space. And so today, I have the honor of being able to conduct actually an interview uh, for one of the books that Ignatius Press has recently published. And uh, the name of that book is, I'm gonna hold it up for those of you that are tuning in to see. It is called Salt and Light. And it is the, um, the story of the spiritual journey of Elizabeth and Felix Lisieur. Now, those of you that um, are tuning in and hearing uh, the names that I just mentioned, Elizabeth and Felix Lisieur, uh, many of you may be saying, well, who, who is that? I've never heard of that. That's not the name of um, a saint that, um, is, that I'm familiar with. Um, and it's not you know, someone in the Catholic space that I'm familiar with. But uh, Elizabeth Lassure is a, um, she has been elevated to a servant of God status. Uh, she's a French woman um, who lived in the early part of the 19th century, uh, her and her husband, um, in Paris, France. And I came to know about her uh, many years ago, about 20 plus years ago, when I was a recently married young woman and was given her diary by a friend of mine uh, because I, at that point in my life, had just recently been married and was struggling with a few things um, in my marriage at the time. And so a friend of mine gave me her diary and said, you know, this is a woman that you need to become familiar with because she one day will be potentially one of the patronesses of um, of difficult marriages or of marriages in which, you know, you have struggles and those sorts of things um, because of her own story of, of her life with her husband, um, whom she loved deeply, but um, they believed very different things. And that's what our discussion today is going to be about, um, introducing you to who Elizabeth um, Lassure is and who her and her husband were and what their life was like um, in France and really more about their spirituality and, um, and, and really kind of getting to know um, why Elizabeth is someone that as Catholics um, we should um, strive to learn you know, more about um, in you know, her being added uh, to the, the communion of saints um, that we uh, care so deeply about. So joining me today, um, we have two guests here, uh, Jennifer McNeil and uh, Mary Dudrow. Uh, Mary is the translator of Salt and Light uh, for Ignatius Press. She, uh, the, this was originally written in French, and so she has done the translation into English so that we can um, have the book and be able to read it uh, uh, today. And then my other guest is Jennifer McNeil, who is affiliated with um, Elizabeth's Circle of Friends, and we're going to talk more about that. 
but she has been involved with the cause for canonization for Elizabeth Lassier. So welcome ladies, uh, thank you for being here today. And um, let's get started. I'm gonna start with Mary and uh, ask, you know, how did you get involved with this project with Ignatius Press? And tell us a little bit about this particular book uh, and what readers will learn in, in this book about Elizabeth, exactly kind of how the, the, the book is laid out for readers. Hi everyone. Uh, thank you for having us, Lisa. I translated a book for Ignatius Press prior to this one, and so this was just kind of a natural follow-up project that sort of came down the line, and I took a look at it, and I really liked the style of writing. I just thought the author had a lovely voice, and there were a lot of very sort of charming elements to the story, it seemed. And then I kind of dove right in. And I didn't know anything about the Lissurs prior to translating the book. So it felt like I was meeting them and getting to know them for the first time as I worked on the book. And the book is laid out chronologically. And it takes you through uh, kind of their background stories and then their marriage and Elizabeth's death and then Felix's life after her death. And it really does a wonderful job. The author was thorough in her research of Elizabeth's writings and she does a wonderful job of bringing in a lot of excerpts from Elizabeth's writings which were published by Felix after her death. Awesome. So Jennifer, tell us a little bit about who Elizabeth and Felix were. Um, how did you come to find out about the couple yourself and explain to us what the circle of friends, um, I don't know if it's correct to say movement, but what the circle of friends um, society is and just a little bit about, about who this couple is. Sure. So thanks for having me as well. Um, so Elizabeth and Felix, I was introduced to, there's an article, you can still Google it today, called She Loved Him to the End. And so in that um, article, like even in the very first couple sentences, um, it was a quote from Elizabeth that was kind of making fun of the expression, suffering is nothing. And she talks about suffering is everything. So right away, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so the whole article was just like how she viewed suffering very differently than maybe most people did. That there was something to um, be gotten from suffering. Um, you could offer it up, you know, and, and things like that. But also the article was really blunt on her struggle with infertility. So like that really caught my eye like immediately because I was struggling with that at the time. And so basically from that article, I just started Googling who else has written about her. Um, and similar um, to Lisa, what we talked about earlier uh, was reading her journal. So I read her journal and just became hooked. And it happened to be that the copy of the journal I read still had a address at the Vatican that you could write to to learn more about her cause. So I had done that like back in, I think it was like 2016. And so a, a young Dominican priest wrote me back from the Vatican and he said, my goodness, no one has written about her in so many years. We actually had to go dig her files in the archive. Um, so we just started corresponding back and forth. And um, I just kept, um, I was a little bit um, proactive, maybe a little pushy in offering like, what could we do to help get this cause resurrected? And so he, you know, he was suggesting, hey, there's been quite a few women around the world that have been interested in this cause. Why don't you take your time 
take a year or two, pull them together and let's see what we can do. So it started like a long string. Um, and as I mentioned to Lisa earlier too, I, I'm just like one little woman in this big group of like about 20 to 30. Um, we have women from Argentina. We have women from Italy. We have women obviously from France, the Netherlands um, that are big Elizabeth supporters. So the group largely started by me meeting those that had worked on her cause over time. Um, her cause has had so many start, stops and starts over time that it was important to kind of go back and kind of learn from what happened in the 90s in Argentina, what happened in the early 2000s in France. And so everybody that I talked to um, was excited to try to rejoin, but also had a level of, you know, this cause is complicated. Um, there, there's many factors that, you know, we could go on for hours about, but, you know, having um, a, uh, a husband put forth his own wife for a cause has its own complications. But um, I think everybody is just drawn to her writing. Like their story is fascinating. Most people are just amazed that he eventually becomes a priest and then spends his lifetime um, working to promote her cause. But it's really her journal that I think is the key to like everything about her. Um, and I think in both their lives, you just see this amazing spiritual journey and that it is not easy. Right. They both eventually surrender and abandon themselves to God's will. But you all see in these in these writings that that's not a five year, 10 year process. I mean, that, that took them quite a few years to go through. Um, so I think there's some appeal to understanding the suffering that we go through living on this earth. But that also like when you learn to surrender and abandon, like there's some beauty to be in sync with God and what his plan is for you. So I don't know. Is that a good start for? Yeah, that, yeah. No, that's a great start. And um. And I think just to kind of break that open a little bit more, I think we should talk about, you know, some of the characteristics of um, of their marriage and why, you know, this whole concept of, of suffering became so much a part of Elizabeth's life story. Uh, and, you know, the witness of her husband in terms of watching her go through, you know, not only physical suffering, but also the emotional suffering of, you know, being in a marriage in which, they didn't share the same spirituality. They didn't share, you know, the same faith. So, Mary, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna turn to you and and ask you to kind of explain to those that are are tuned in today a little bit about the couple. You know, in terms of what you learned when you were translating, uh, um, a little bit about their you know their lifestyle and you know what were the, some of the challenges that you know Elizabeth and Felix had. Um, as a married couple in this time, you know, in our history? Well, I think one of the initial things that's very appealing about them and relatable about them is that in so many ways, they were very ordinary. They lived a very comfortable life. Uh, they both had wonderful educational backgrounds, very strong family backgrounds. They had a beautiful friendship together. And I think there's sort of, you know, the way that we kind of describe them in a nutshell, the atheist husband, the pious wife. I think people initially think like, oh, he must have been a total jerk. And he wasn't at all. He was really a wonderful husband and they were truly each other's best friend. But they did have this really big uh, difference of heart and of opinion in their marriage regarding faith. And Elizabeth really took very seriously her husband's conversion, but she also had this incredibly humble understanding that she wasn't gonna be the one to convert him. 
like herself. It wasn't up to her to convince him or talk him into it. She fully understood that she needed to pray him there. And she called that her duty of silence. And so she just internalized that mission and silently prayed for him and offered him sacrifices. And they had these other struggles, infertility being one of them, probably connected with her illnesses. She had chronic liver disease. She later had breast cancer and died from a complication from the breast cancer. And there was, it's the 1800s and, and early 1900s. So they had a lot of family loss too. Young members of their family, their parents, lots of illness and death surrounding their marriage as well. And the way that they had to handle all these different struggles that life threw at them, they really did work together. And I think that that was something that was very moving to see as I read through the book, that despite their difference on, on faith, they really stuck together through thick and thin. Yeah, that was um, in reading her her diary or her journal myself um, as a young, newly married a woman who struggled with infertility. That was, you know, the difficulty in my own marriage that I was facing at the time and why someone, you know, handed me the book. I was just struck by that, um, the intentionality of Elizabeth. And, you know, despite this being kind of a great, a cross of hers. I mean, I would say, you know, that she, that it was that one thing in her marriage that they differed on. Um, she knew that what she had to do was to turn in, into her interior life um, and really just offer that up, uh, you know, all of her sufferings, um, you know, for her husband. And I thought that was just you know, such a beautiful example of really what marriage is supposed to be, that sanctification um, effort of the spouses. Um, Jennifer, uh, Elizabeth, you know, chose what every spouse is called to choose. Um, but I think many people, you know, we see this in our culture all the day, all the time, is that it's hard to do what she did. Um, do you think married couples today can find her relatable? I do, uh, and I think, um, you know, I agree with everything Mary said, and um, in, in that, like, they lived um, a pretty big life with all the travel and everything that they had the opportunity to do, um, given, like, their the class that they were in, um, but I think they're relatable, too, in uh, the busyness of them, okay, all this travel, all these visitors that they had, I mean, like, they weren't quite the um, Parisian circle of friends there, um, but I think over time, not instantly, did they understand that, you know, they individually had to work on their faith and spirituality, even if Felix didn't work on it until her death. But I think um, Elizabeth learned the patience. And I think we should tell our viewers, too, Elizabeth did not, like the day after they were married, say, oh, I'm just going to internally pray for Felix. I mean, it took her years. Like, she spent quite a few years just giving up on her faith because of his insistence and trying to push his will on her to say like, let's be atheists together. Like let's forget about God. So I would want people to understand, like you can really see her spiritual development that it's not until she takes a trip to Lords and takes a trip to Rome herself where she actually like reawakens her own faith. So I, I think it's important for people to see that. But I also think um, a good takeaway from them for married couples today too is giving 
each other like the chance to have some silence and get away from the busyness so that I think you as individuals in the marriage need a chance to understand God's will for you, let alone God's will for the couple as well. So I feel like Felix learned after her death, unfortunately, that like him importing his will was never going to work, right? I mean, it was it's God's will as to how this whole story was going to turn out. So for me, I think one of the biggest takeaways is like that opportunity to give each other some time to grow. And I think um, in some of the writings about them as a couple, Felix, even on Fridays in Lent, would insist on having people over to visit so that she would be forced to socialize and even be forced to serve something besides fish. So, I mean, like, there's just, you know, there, there's just some stories where you're just like, wow, he was just imposing and imposing. And in the end, it really didn't matter. Mary, you came to know um, the story through, you know, being given the opportunity to do the translation. Um, you know, what for you as a married woman, do you think was one of the most important lessons um, you learned in learning about the couple? Uh, you know, through your translation or, you know, for yourself as a married woman and, you know, for others that you may, you know, encounter in your own circle of friends? I was most struck, I would say, by Elizabeth's understanding of the marriage and her sort of whole understanding of kind of the feminine ethos and the vocation of wife. And she really took very seriously this mission of hospitality and warmth and just making the home a, a place of generosity and invitation. And she really, she really took seriously that kind of like the domestic church. And that was really her battleground where they, yeah, they had such a full uh, social life, as Jennifer was saying, and constant flurry of, you know, social interaction and parties. And then they had quite a large extended family that they hosted regularly. And Elizabeth, you know, you can tell Felix really enjoyed, he was very sociable. He really enjoyed having company. And so the two of them did that together, right? They offered their home together to their friends. But then Elizabeth took it to this like next level because she was internalizing kind of the spiritual vocation of marriage. And she just considered every person who walked through her door was someone both in need and worthy of her love. And the way that the book talks about how she encountered people with just this openness of heart and warmth, that was so inspiring to me because it's like, we all have a house, we all have a home, we can all do that in our homes, just make our home a place of welcome and warmth. And to have that be kind of, maybe that's someone's initial encounter with the love of Christ is just you serving them a meal, you know, or welcoming them into your home. And, and Felix, perhaps not knowing it, I mean, he was sharing in that, you know, because he was very hospitable and a generous host too. And so I loved seeing that aspect of their marriage, this, this welcoming to all these other people outside of their marriage and making their marriage this, this thing much larger than just the two of them. Um, yeah, that's great. And, you know, one of the things that really um, surprised me and is probably my favorite part of the story is what happens to Felix um, after her death. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. You know, Jennifer 
can you tell us about, um, you know, when Elizabeth died, Felix was still, you know, very firm in his atheism, but something happened to him when he read uh, Elizabeth's journal. So. Right. And um, I think it's worth noting too, Elizabeth really wanted her journals burned upon her death, but her sister convinced her not to do that because her sister really thought there was something in those journals. So, you know, after Elizabeth dies, um, Felix starts to read those journals, kind of starts to have a little bit of movement of the heart. Um, and then Felix has a good friend take him to Lourdes. Now, prior to this, Felix, Felix would rip Lourdes, France, as like the most like touristy place to go. It was full of crap, like it wasn't a you know really religious experience. Well, lo and behold, he goes after Elizabeth's death and he feels her presence in Lourdes, falls to his knees and starts praying. And so like his conversion starts at Lourdes, like of all places, I, I think it was just I mean, beautiful given what he had said previously. But it's that journal, and I mean, I think it is not a one or two time read of the journal, but he was reading that journal for months before um, he really could understand and like absorb and really understand like what he had done to her. But then I think even more importantly, just understand like the beautiful life she was leading so quietly spiritual that started his conversion. Um, and so he seeks out Elizabeth's spiritual director who happened to be a Dominican to basically go to confession. Like I think it's like a year or so after her death. And I mean, that starts the whole process um, of him, you know, coming back to the church and then slowly trying to do a later life um, religious vocation, which was not easy. I think everyone was dissuading him. His own family was like, do you know what you're going to give up? I mean, they were fairly wealthy. Um, so he had it rough, like actually doing that late, um, late time religious vocation. But once he got through that, um, you know, and became the priest, everyone, of course, he was sharing the story of his wife. Um, and, you know, as people read her own journal, like people started to say, you should publish that. That needs to get out there in the world. So, I mean, I think he had great foresight once uh, he started to publish her works. He didn't just do it in French. I mean, her work was all over the place. It was in Italian. It was in Spanish. Like it was everywhere. So like he really opened her up to the world. Um, and if you read in um, the translated book here, um, you know, the hours he spent like writing back to everyone once his books were published. I mean, he was getting 100,000 letters a year to respond to from people who were so touched and moved by her journal. Um, but I think we benefit today from his foresight in translating her because I think that's how she spread her popularity spread around the world so fast. Um, in those early days. And then he worked as hard as he could on um, her own cause. But unfortunately, World War II really threw a dent in it. Uh, and then coming back from World War II, even when he resurrected the cause, his own health became frail. And so that kind of really stopped the cause for quite some time. Um, but, you know, his story alone, just even answering the correspondence, like, I don't think he had a, a clue how much she had impacted so many people. So it's, that part of the story is really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, you touched on it a little bit in talking about, you know, his own religious vocation. But, you know, for those you know that are listening that maybe didn't catch that part, he became a priest. Yes. And, um, you know, basically committed the rest of his life to um, that vocation and, you know, pursuing, his, you know, his, his holiness uh, through through the, the priesthood. Um, Mary, any other thoughts about um, their, their life in, in France at that time? And um, particularly as it relates to struggling couples, I think, 
you know, again, I keep going back to the fact that one day, you know, I hope that when she is, you know, elevated to the sainthood that, you know, her example will be, um, you know, used more widely, especially here in the United States for, you know, marriage preparation and those that, you know, are pursuing, you know, um, marriage, you know, what is it that you, you think that struggling couples could get the most from, you know, reading this particular book of, you know, the spiritual journey of Elizabeth and Felix this year? Well, for one thing, I think Felix and Elizabeth Lister just present a very human experience of marriage and uh, in a time that I think is really uh, relevant to our own. Uh, France was in the at the turn of the century and in the early 1900s, France was in a very anti-Catholic push. They passed all of these laws that basically got rid of most of the religious communities that were left in France, that it forbade religious instruction in France, it forbade um, religious formation in France. I mean, it was really a hostile time towards religion in France. And I think for one, that's relatable to a lot of people. Like, how do I practice? How do we even practice our faith? Maybe we're on the same page about our faith, but how do we live our faith in an environment where maybe we don't feel like that's very uh, acceptable or we don't have a lot of friends who practice the faith? You know, that struggle alone, I think, is um, a beautiful thing to explore with Felix and Elizabeth. And then also just seeing how they grew together in their marriage. There are just a lot of points in this book where you see kind of the natural growth that happens over time through the grace of the sacrament. And those changes happen obviously because of effort on the part of you know both, both um, persons in the marriage, but also just because if you take those solemn vows, grace is going to pour into your life, whether you realize it or not. And so to see these moments of growth where they start out young and idealistic and Felix is super hostile towards religion. But as the years go by and they go through so much together and towards the end of her life and through her sicknesses, you really see Felix kind of softening too, just because he's so much more accepting of who she is, who she fully is. And he starts to kind of back off on, you know, making fun of religion, pressuring her about religion, and becomes a lot more respectful about her private practice of the faith. And so even just seeing that, that, you know, marriage is a long journey of growth and where it's important to know kind of where you're starting out, but it's also important to realize that, the two of you are going to grow so much over the course of the years you spent together, provided you just stick together. Yeah. Amen. Um, Jennifer, what is the current status of Elizabeth's cause for canonization? Where are things now for those that are tuning in that may know who Elizabeth um, Lucier is or just finding out about her? Where where do things stand with with that this time. So, as I mentioned, like, you know, when I wrote to the Vatican in 2016, that kind of started this re-resurrection again of the cause. 
Um, so, you know, we met, we being my husband and I traveled to Paris twice now, um, once just to meet with the um, vice chancellor of the diocese of uh, Paris to kind of talk about the cause. He didn't even know who Elizabeth Lassor was, I must tell you. So it was this whole, like, let's bring out the archives and like, let's look back into her. Um, that was a visit in 2017. We followed up in 18 with them. Um, we actually held a conference at St. Germain de Prey with all the supporters in Paris. Um, and again, met with the vice chancellor. And so um, that again, like I think he needed to see that women still relate to her today, like, you know, a hundred years later. So I think that has helped um, clean up the cause a bit and re resurrect it in terms of it sat dormant in the 1990s. The vice postulator actually sat in Argentina and was the Dominican group in Argentina. So they had to relinquish their position, which they have done. And so now we just are awaiting the vice chancellor in Paris announcing the new vice postulator who will be out of Paris. And so once that happens, um, it really is another jump kickstart to everything that's happening. Um, and, you know, you have a website that people can keep updated about what's happening with the cause. Um, just, you know, for those that are are watching here today, um, that website and how people can um, follow up on the cause, her cause and what's going on with it. Yeah, sure. So it's elcause.org. Um, and then we have a contact us on there that people can submit their emails. Um, you know, we occasionally, when there's news to share, we'll put out that news as well. Um, and then, you know, there's definitely in the United States, there's a Facebook presence too. There's quite a few Facebook groups out there of people sharing Elizabeth quotes and information. So um, I think that's a good, easy way to stay in touch. And we try um, as well on that website, any new books that come out of um, Elizabeth or any articles, we post them there as well, because there's constantly things coming out. People are still writing about her today. And Lisa, I would be remiss too if I didn't tell you that um, on both trips to Paris, we met Bernadette Chauvelin, whose book we're talking about today, and she is a wonderful woman. She is very popular in the Catholic circles in Paris and in France overall. So she actually appears on French TV quite often talking about Catholic issues. And she may even be watching for all I know. So she was well aware that we were going to be discussing her book today. Well, we are very grateful to her for writing it and for Mary to being able to translate it so that um, U.S. Catholics can and, you know, other English speaking Catholics can, um, you know, learn about this, you know, great married couple and um, the wisdom in marriage that they bring, you know, to to all of us, you know, through reflecting on um, their life and their journey. Um, we only have a few minutes left. I just want to give each of you like kind of last, last thoughts, comments on um, Elizabeth and Felix Lassier and particularly the book um, and why, you know, someone should pick this book up, get it from Ignatius Press um, and read it. So Mary, I'll start with you and then Jennifer end with you. Well, for me, uh, reading the book and as I kind of reread it for interviews and things, um, it's just, it's a very inspiring and encouraging testimony to staying true to the faith no matter what and continuing to pray and to pray for all souls. One of my favorite quotes from Elizabeth, she wrote a spiritual testament for Felix, which was kind of like, a will, but with a spiritual uh, meaning. And Felix read it after her death. And she, she tells him, she says, love souls, pray for them, work for them. They deserve 
all of our love and prayers. And I, I really, I was so inspired by that. And it, it just, I don't know, it, it, reading her writings and how seriously she takes her, her mission of prayer just inspired me to pray more, especially during this time for our nation and to just share more love with everyone, everyone who, who comes my way. That's great, Jennifer. Uh, I would just offer the Catholic Church has many, many great saints, but I think just as a lay person in a marriage, I think they are just so relatable um, because they're living the same vocation that we do. And I think like one of their, the biggest things to take away from the book, too, is just to see as, um, you know, Mary alluded to, like this journey is long, right? This is not short. So I think if anything you can learn from Elizabeth, too, is just the patience to surrender and then abandon to God's will in your life. Amen. Well, ladies, thank you both for joining me today for our time to talk about Elizabeth and Felix Lassure. And for those that are tuned in and watching, again, the book that we've just discussed is Salt and Light, The Spiritual Journey of Elizabeth and Felix Lassure. It's available through Ignatius Press. We hope you'll pick up a copy and, you know, perhaps even think about getting together with a group of married couples in um, your area for a book, book study. Um, there are many ways that you can, um, you know, take advantage of, of this book being available um, for your the growth in your spiritual life. So thank you for tuning in and have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at Ignatius Com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.